Welcome to another edition of the Hit the Lights podcast. I have a uh, very special guest with me today. I have a uh, Mr. David Savory. How are you? Uh, I'm fine, thank you. Thank you for inviting me onto your show. Very kind of you, old chap. I uh, hope I can do it justice. Yeah, I'm sure you can. Um, so where we usually start in the podcast is talking about what made people decide to join the electrical industry. But obviously, you've mentioned to me that you started a bit late into the industry. Yeah. So maybe it'd be good if we went back and just talked about how you started your career, I believe, in the telecoms industry. Yes, indeed. Um, my apprenticeship, such as it was, was um, back in the days of Mercury Communications, who were, uh, I don't know if uh, you're probably too young to remember then, aren't you? But they were uh, a fairly big noise at the end of the 80s when... British Telecom's monopoly uh, got, well, uh, demonopolised, I suppose you'd say, and Mercury came along as the uh, the new challengers and uh, right. stuck some very distinctive payphones around the place that looked like spaceships. Right, OK. No good for Doctor Who, he wouldn't be able to climb into one, but uh, also tramps couldn't urinate in them, so that was all right, and it had, had their yeah. I suppose. But, um, yes, I, um, I, got, uh, I was one of their technical trainees, from back in 1991 and uh, uh, like most people who have just left school or college uh, I didn't really know what I wanted to do I knew I wanted to do something technical electronics was my hobby and electronics is what I really should have uh, persevered with and, and got into um, but at the time of course when you're young you don't think yeah. about the future and you just sort of drift from wherever things are going usually and yeah, uh, yeah is so. that is that because you had a lack of guidance coming out of school or or for any other particular reason i think so yeah i was uh, i mean i was annoyed at school because um i wanted to do to do um technology and, uh, it, was, it was called cdt back in my days craft design and technology yeah and uh i got put off because uh, it had a, an emphasis on things like woodwork and metalwork, and I'm not a mechanical man. I'm no good at making things. Mm. Um, so uh, I, I, it sort of put me off a bit, and I, I didn't realise there was this whole technology aspect to it that we, my school never really introduced us to or covered. And then when the options came around, I chose art because I had a, an, an interest in graphic design. Uh, and then I thought, you know, I should be doing technology. Why not? Why am I doing technology? And the school wouldn't let me change, so I ended up stuck with art, which in the end I dropped anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I wanted most of my time with art. So, uh, so yeah, I, that, I was a bit, that, that, that was a sort of a, a bit of a blow. But I went off to college after that and did, did um, uh, engineering again. It was a lot of it was mechanical based. The thing is, with Coventry, where obviously where I grew up, at that time it was quite an industrial city. You had a lot mm. of factories you had a lot of car plants uh, obviously you've got jaguar rover car bodies and make the black cabs um there were uh, there was a lot of machine tool manufacturers places like matrix churchill um and uh, when i left school um the sort of the emphasis was on engineering so this is an engineering town these, these are the sort of jobs that a 16 year old lad ought to be looking at the sort of places they ought to be looking at um so I ended up going for lots of interviews for engineering jobs, which, again, I'm not a mechanical man. And, you know, if, if, if nobody saw that electronics was my thing, which, you know, I, back at the time, I was rather, rather good at it. It's all, it's all gone now, that knowledge, because I don't get to play with it anymore. But uh, it's all gone very rusty. But um, but I didn't drive it myself because, again, as a 16, 17-year-old, you don't really know how to drive for your life going forward and you're reliant on other people saying, oh, this kid's got potential to do this, perhaps. Let's let's steer them in this direction. But instead, I was sent off to uh, – I was attending interviews to uh, all these car plants for um, – or um, uh, uh, machine tool plants for operating lathes and things like that, which I was never going to be any good at. Um, and then I was, it was quite fortunate that Mercury came along and I managed to get it in telecoms because at least that was that was more um, there was more to it than that than basic machine and plant operation. <laughs> right. Okay. So in Mercury, did they have uh, like a fundamental apprenticeship scheme that you you kind of worked your way through? 
Yeah, it was a technical traineeship that they had there. Um, so they sent you to college for two years uh, with block release to go and get your sort of your workplace experience. And you, you would attend your block release at the various departments. You didn't necessarily get a choice of which department you chose, but there were departments you sort of rotated through, which was good because it obviously gave you a, a, an idea both of what you may perhaps want to do, but equally as, as rich an experience and the negative ones where you very much find what you don't want to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, in a department that you hate for, for three months or whatever, but you come out of it knowing that you you don't want to be in that, that line of work so even the negative placements had value um it, it's the trouble is and it's the same now i'm sure that um a lot of this sort of the the job placement experiences you you sort of you, you were put with an engineer or whatever and didn't necessarily want you there they didn't want some snot those disinterested kid who they then had to babysit through the day. And they, they didn't necessarily take time out to explain what they were doing or what was going on. So mm-hmm. there were a lot of days where you were just sort of looking at the back of some guy's head as he um, hovered over an old massive compact 286 laptop trying to program some something that you, like a TDX or something that you had no experience of, you didn't know what the hell he was doing or what he was typing in, and it wasn't very valuable experience. Right. And then uh, it, it probably moaned that he has to take you back to the head office at the end of the day instead of being able to drive home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the usual. <laughs> saying, I'm going to drive you back to the office now and I can just go home that way. I <laughs> 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 here either, mate. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's the trouble, isn't it? With, uh, and it's a shame because uh, I, I like to get um, people on site. You know, I get people asking from college or whatever if they can do work experience and, and work experience placements when done right are fantastic and I've had a couple of very good ones in my time I attended one at GPT in 1989 one at Warwick University which was outstanding uh, back in was at 1991 um, I hate Warwick University I've worked there both as a permie and a contractor I can't stand the place but that work placement they put me on um, back in like 1991 which was a work placement that Coptech sent me on uh, brilliant and it was an ele- electronics one and the guys there were fantastic and they gave me projects to do and they explained how these projects worked and we debugged them and you know you, you had you had it was proper mentoring by by guys who knew their stuff mm. and if you get a placement like that then it's really valuable and I, I learned more in that one week than I probably had at the whole year at college just being on that one placement and um you know, if, if you can if you can offer that to other people as well, to, to the students coming out of the colleges, not that I'm saying that I, I, I'm an expert in anything or can train anybody. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if, if you can give someone a placement where they're actually doing something, you're saying you're telling them why they're doing it, and you're not just doing that that bit I was doing while you're staring at the back of someone's head and, and not really knowing what's going on. Yeah. Then a, a work placement experience can be a, 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 an incredibly positive thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd agree with that. I think my workplace uh, was a, an injection molding company, and I was literally just putting car door handles together for, for five days. And I, like you say, I came away knowing I wasn't ever going to go into injection molding. So. <laughs> yeah, and you know, you get. Um, I remember because at my school one in 1989, they placed me at GPT, which was a another one where. Uh, it started off quite negatively. I was put in a, it was a big open plan office. A lot of smokers back in the day who were just sitting at a desk smoking. You wouldn't get it like like that these days, of course. Yeah. A lot of the old men uh, huddled over drawings and stuff. Uh, and the first sort of, first couple of days, I was just sort of stuck in a corner with all these old blokes smoking around me. I, they were too busy to attend to me and I didn't really want to make a first. So you just sort of sit there watching the clock and it's, that's a very difficult thing to do. Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> very boring um but um I, I then got put with a an old boy who um was showed me the the cad machines which you know back in the late 80s um this was still fairly new, new sort of technology and, um I, the only computing experience i had was my own sort of 8-bit computer back at home at that time so to see technical design being done on a computer and then going off to the plotter where it all printed it out and everything. That was, that was pretty fascinating. So that, that again was another turned into another 
uh, a good positive experience but it all depends on uh, the people there and, and whether they see you as a burden or not yeah but uh, but yeah a lot of the uh, I was talking to my friends at school and a lot of them they did end up like you in a place where their job was to pull a lever <laughs> over and over yeah and uh, I remember one guy, uh, my mate Sonny, he said to me, oh, I only went for one day. They just wanted me to pull this lever all the time. I, I didn't go back. Uh, and, you know, that, that's, that's a shame because it must be hard for educational establishments to find work experience placements. Uh, so for companies to just see it as a source perhaps of some ridiculous labour, cheap labour, where they can just say, right, you, you just assemble those things over there for us. Mm. It's a it's a shame really. Um, it'd be nice yeah, yeah. I think it probably has a, to be a little bit more work done, isn't there? About I know I think I, in a previous podcast I've done uh, spoken with Chris Ruddock and uh, he mentioned about these aptitude tests. I can't remember what they were called again. Yeah. Um, and that that they actually can direct um, the 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 pupil in the right direction. Well, I mean, I, I, again, they're, they're nothing new. I um, We had aptitude, aptitude tests when I left school in 1990, and everywhere I went, they'd make you sit this aptitude test. And I, I must have sat tens of them, like you know, 50 of them or something like that. I attended so many interviews back in the day at all of these different sort of engineering places, engineering firms, car manufacturer places, that sort of stuff. And in the end, I've done so many of them that by the time I was... Uh, being handed the handed it for the umpteenth time obviously i knew what the the questions were what the answers were and i could just sort of reel them off which probably made me look great <laughs> yeah <laughs> i never got any of the jobs so no one no one ever hired <laughs> it didn't look that great <laughs> because i left school with this attitude like you still get today where kids think okay i've done school now i get a job and you don't realise you've got to fight for a job. You, you go out there and you attend these interviews, and I just used to sit there and not really say anything. People would ask me questions, I would be shrugging my shoulders like kids do, grunting yeah. them, and not not giving them any reason to hire me. Not saying, oh yes, I would like to work at this place because you make this, and I find that interesting. And you know, you, you just sit there and grunt and expect them to then go, okay, well here's a job. And uh, all I was interested in, like anybody else, of course, was how much you're going to pay me. What would you like to work in? Mr. Yeah. Uh, the money. <laughs> stupid question so uh, yeah uh, and of course yeah none of them none of them would offer me anything uh, quite rightly to i wouldn't offer me a, i wouldn't have offered 16 year old me a job either so um so I, I just went to college and all my mates were sort of getting a couple hundred quid a week and i was getting nothing <laughs> But uh, it was a very good college course. Coventry Technical College was, was very good back in the day. You had proper lecturers back then, proper patches on elbows lecturers who knew their stuff, had been teaching it since the 50s or 60s. And it was just before the world changed and everything got computerised and miniaturised. And you wouldn't get guys like that these days. All the stuff that they'd be talking out about, people wouldn't be interested in because everything's... It's all just a black box these days, of course, isn't it? There's no, not so much real engineering... To consider you don't have to to think about things so much it's all it's all laid out for you on custom silicon these days yeah so back to mercury then you've completed your uh trainee um education and what was the next step for you you went out and started working on projects on your own well uh, i just got to the end of my national diploma in engineering in 1993 and then mercury said we're going to cancel the technical training scheme. So the next step would have been the uh, higher national, another couple right. of years college um, block release at work. So Mercury said at the end of 1993, and they weren't the only ones, a lot of companies did this because there, there was a collapse in engineering around that sort of time. You had uh, things like the Iraqi Supergun Affair, which ended the likes of Matrix Churchill. A lot of uh, manufacturing sites closed down. Uh, production started moving to China around then for those sort of those sort of sites we stopped making things in this country around then and all these technical people who were coming out of school or college or technical trainees whatever suddenly there wasn't quite the role for them anymore Mm. Uh, mercury said right okay well we're pulling the plug that's the end of our technical trainee scheme uh you either find a job with us uh, which we'll try and help you to do of course because we've invested in you to this point uh or you um go out the door (laughs) right okay um and it's 
there's this one turning point today for me. It's amazing how your life changes on a on a day, doesn't it? Because there was this this one day where I was, I'd gone, I'd been put on um, a block job over the summer of must have been 1993, yeah, summer of 93 at Leicester, Mercury Leicester, and I was doing work with this engineer called Joe. Uh, he was a lovely guy, um, but not technically minded at all. He was a good wireman. You could say to him, right, Joe, you are in a load of phone sockets over there and you get, get that working. Um, but you couldn't give him a laptop and ask him to, to program up the, the exchange or anything like that. You, you wouldn't know how to take it on. Uh, and a lot of the other engineers uh, looked down on him for that. They, right. they saw him as being a bit dumb, but he wasn't. He was a great guy and he, he really knew his stuff. And he was just very easy going to work with. And I've been sort of stuck with Joe and working with him, just going around installing phone sockets and not doing much else over the summer of 93. Nice summer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and very laid back. Joe was a laid back kind of guy and it, it was great. And then one day, um, Joe and I were in the office at the start of the day, about to go out on the van for a, another day of it, when this um, boss called Andy, I can't remember his surname, he walked in and said, we need more engineers over at Cable and Wireless in Coventry. Um, who have we got? And because I lived in Coventry and didn't really like commuting to Leicester every day, I, my ears sort of picked up and I said, oh, uh, I live in Coventry, if it's of any use. Right, get yourself over to this Cable and Wireless place in Coventry and give them a hand. And I was like, oh, OK. And, you know, I said goodbye to Joe and fully expected to be back at Leicester like a week later or whatever. Mm. Never went back there again. Never saw Joe again. That was, it, was, it was off to Coventry and I spent the remainder of 1993 setting up, helping to set up. Um, what was the Cable and Wireless College? Um, Cable and Wireless had open, they had a college down in Porth Kernow in Cornwall. They'd been there for uh, for decades. Um, it, it was right back to uh, the early days of telecom when they were the uh, I can't remember what it was called now. Was it the Eastern Telegraph Company or something wonderful like that? And um, they had re- just relocated to this new custom-built building, Coventry, back in 1993. It was just opening up. So, uh, so I got sent there to um, to give the the guys there a hand. Uh, it was a, they had on-site students. So there was a lot of residential accommodation. We had hundreds of phone lines to uh, wire in, commission, plug in, program, uh, and I just got on with that. But because I was there, I got in with the IT guys there, and they said, "Oh, well, we've got an IT traineeship um, position, a junior position opening up." So I applied for that and and got it and started there in 1994 so i managed to move from mercury to their parent company cable and wireless just before the plug got pulled on those who remained so i, I right, okay. ship and was uh, to the parent company and it was quite safe fantastic place to work cable and wireless it was um, it's the only place i've worked where there was a real sort of family environment everyone was friends everyone did stuff socially you had a, a bus driver because i had a they had um, students from all over the world, from the Caribbean, from the Seychelles, that sort of places, who would stay on site and do their diplomas. You also had the short courses, the, the UK engineers who would come in for a week to learn about a new product or whatever. So you had this mixture of people, but um, and, and there was a, a, we had our own bus bus driver because he would go and pick up the students who didn't fit on site for the residential accommodation. And we'd all, we'd all pile out on the company bus to go to um, the cinema in the evening or to go bowling uh we had a um full sports club on site with like um sports hall swimming pool gym not that i ever use those facilities i played badminton rather badly uh and a bar and we'd go and have two or three pints at lunchtime because again you could do that in the 90s <laughs> these days but they had their own on-site subsidized bar where you could just wander over at lunchtime and have have your chips and your beer and and the, your boss would be right next to you doing exactly the same thing. So it was a fantastic environment to work in. Never worked anywhere like that since. Where It was one of those where I, I literally didn't like Fridays because it was like, oh, two days at home now. I'm going to be <laughs> I'm going at the weekend. Uh, because yeah. it was a 24-7 site, it was always manned because you had on-site students. I'd go in and just, just do, do more work around the place because I'd rather be there, even though there was hardly anybody there, than be home back then. And that's where I'm at the wife and you know like i say it's this is that, that was that one day back in 1993 where the engineer happened to come in and room i was in and say who can go to, go to do this place and it, it was a, a life changer a game changer uh, 
but yeah, interesting place to work. I, I really enjoyed Cable Wines. Okay, so fast forward then. Obviously, you've had this career change um, to your uh, position as an electrician now. How did that come about? Uh, well, like most people who get into their 30s, you look at your life and think, oh, I don't want to be doing this anymore. I want to be doing something useful that I can step back at the end of the day and say, I've done that. That looks good. I, I'm happy with that. And uh, you look at the trades and think, well, carpentry, that looks a bit tricky and plumbing, that looks a bit dirty. Electrics is easy, though, isn't it? You just need a packet of screwdrivers and uh, you mm-hmm. can work out the it your car. Because my background was, was technical and my hobby, my hobby being electronics, um and because of sort of the, the cabling various cabling experiences working for the likes of cable and wireless and mercury um it, it was a a more natural fit than anything else um and it had been something i've been thinking about for a, a long time and I'd, I'd always wondered why didn't i do that why didn't i go into either electronics or electrical work why 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 am i in telecoms was a, a question mm-hmm. Uh, kept up and I, you know, I was very good at telecoms. I like to think I was. I, I knew I knew my job well. Um, I, I did it well. I was well appreciated, I believe. But um, you, you get to a certain point in your life, I think, where you think I, I just want want to change. I want to go and do something more specific. And unfortunately, for a lot of people, it does take that long to realise where you want to be in life. Not everybody comes out of school thinking. I want to work in the trades and I want to work in this trade. And Mm. I do generally have family who are in it, don't they? The father did it or whatever, or my grandfather, et cetera. Um, So they think, okay, well, this, this is where I naturally, the direction I naturally want to go in. But a lot of people, they, they, they come out, they, um, they don't necessarily end up in the uh, field that they ideally would be. Um, or even if they do, they get to a point, uh, usually probably around the, in their 30s, where they think it's, it's time for a change. I want to. I, I, I realise now where I want to focus my energies, what I want to focus my energies on, mm. and, and now it's time to to try and make that happen. Because if you're not trying to make that happen uh, before you're 40, it gets more difficult. Not impossible, of course, um, but it, it yeah. does get more difficult. You need to do it while you've still got energy. I look at it now and think. Could I do that again? A career change again? I don't think I could. It's energy uh, yeah. for it, you know, ten years ago, whenever. Um, I just probably wouldn't now. Um, wouldn't you, you'd be, not unless there was something that I was incredibly enthusiastic about wanting to do. Yeah, no, that's that's fair enough. So within the electrical industry, then, how did you go about like obtaining work or the, your your education at that? at that late stage in life uh well obviously um for the likes of me the um the short courses domestic installer courses are the place to start and that's where a lot of people start it's not ideal and it's frowned upon and but what else can you do at that sort of age um i i, I didn't like the fact that that was the the route i had to take so i also went and did the long-term courses, the Steam Guilds 2365, Level 2, Level 3, the 23495 um, uh, Test and Inspect. They, I went away and, and, and did the long-term courses. But mm. first of all, I did the the short ones to to get, get the old sort of foot in the door, so to speak. Sure. Something that's, uh, I think, they're, 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 it's going to be more difficult from now on, as I understand it. I believe there are changes happening to make it trickier is that right have you heard anything about that um i believe so yeah i mean the likes of uh, nic certainly i've seen on on social media are stopping endorsing them um whether there's actually going to be any legislative uh, changes to abolish them completely uh, i'm not sure because i think it's uh it's a bit of a minefield isn't it when you consider the likes of you, you, you know the two three nine ones and, and things technically being a short course i think it's just establishing that definition of what is right what is wrong um mm. so whether the industry is going to actually pull their finger out and maybe establish that as quickly as we think they might um i very much doubt but um hopefully we could see some positive change in the near future the trouble is of course that um the 
the short courses are, are, all, are all well and good, uh, so long as you've got someone who's um, motivated. Uh, I think a lot of these, uh, and it's the same with any course, I think a lot of students see courses as somewhere where they go to be handed something on a plate. And if it's not taught in the classroom, then they don't research any further. I think that's the case for I think that's the case for students on your, your things like your two, three, six, five, your, your two, three year courses, uh, two, two year level two and level three courses. Uh, that you have to be able, you have to have people who are prepared to undertake the independent learning, to prepared to put in the research, prepared to open the the rigs book and have a look in the thing. I mean, mm-hmm. I know people who turn up to do that. Um, there's the 17th edition course at the time. In, 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 the red book was still in cellophane. Like, you haven't even looked at that, have you? How do you expect to get through this? Mm. But you know, if you're getting to the point where you've attended the course and you've, uh, or you've attended the courses and you're doing your, your um, 17th, 18th edition exam, which is obviously towards the end of it, and you, at that point you still haven't looked in the regs book, then that's the the kind of person that shouldn't be doing it shouldn't be out there they haven't got the enthusiasm for it they haven't got the the yeah. um the, the motivation obviously to to learn and to to see it through and you know you, you've got to you've got to put your own hours in you've got to put your own research in and you've got to and there's no excuse today because there's so much content on places like youtube where you can go and see spark is doing the job mm-hmm. uh, where there's very good discussion about how they've done the job. Um, not every comment is uh, someone saying something awful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In fact, I find that the, the comment system on YouTube, there's uh, a lot of very good people there uh, and uh, who will offer different viewpoints. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I've picked up an awful lot of stuff from there where I thought, mm, you know what, you're right. I, I could have done it like that. Why didn't I do it like that? Because uh, you're always learning, especially with the all the changes in industry, and there's, there's a lot of new products coming out and uh, changes brought in by the 18th, things like AFDDs, SPDs, things you've got to get your head around that you perhaps didn't have to before. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's all out there on the net. You, the internet's such a great resource, and yet you, you get students coming out of classrooms, uh, and they they just haven't bothered to look it up they're not motivated to do it they think oh, sir never taught us that in the classroom so it's, yeah it's, it's frustrating because i'm seeing kids coming off um out of the two three six five from this is from proper fe colleges at level three who still get confused about what an rcd and mcb are and the differences between them still don't understand why insulation resistance testing is undertaken and what what you should be seeing and you know this is level three how how are you you, how, how are you doing this? And for the short courses as well, they're, they're obviously the people attending those are being sold a dream. My yeah. nephew was interested in, in doing it. Um, he's in his 20s and he said, uh, I, I, the job I'm doing isn't very fulfilling. I'm looking at coming into the trades. What do you think about this? And he sent me over the bump that this training course had put together, which, which sort of promised we're, we're going to make you an electrician in so many days. And once you've got this, you will, this is what they say in there, you will be able to earn up to £300 a day. <laughs> There's yeah. a, a national shortage of electricians. Building sites are crying out for them. I tell you what, they're not crying out for them at 300 quid a day. And, yeah. um, uh, and, if, uh, and you'll be able to, you'll be, um, what do they call it, uh, industry ready. You'll, you'll be industry ready. You'll be able to apply for jobs in the electrical industry or you'll be able to go and work for yourself. Uh, in, the, the phone doesn't start ringing as soon as you, set up in business it takes a good 18 months of forking out on advertising and slowly mm. up a reputation before you can count on on the phone ringing and the jobs coming in I mean, you can't just sort of um do your training and stick an advert in the paper or whatever saying i am your new local sparky come and use me because mm. it just doesn't happen like that but this is the dream they're selling and that's that's the problem with it and and, and we've all seen on these courses i've seen it for myself having attended them that people are a lot of people are just handheld through it they're handheld through the practical parts handheld through the mm. exams and you can see that you know some some people just have absolutely no skills on the tools i remember one guy who's uh, he was doing his practice board and his, his light switches were all on the wonk at ridiculous levels and you know he, he hadn't 
put any thought into it, didn't know how to use a spirit level, didn't know how to use the basic hand tools. And yet this guy was, was, I'm sure, going to get rubber stamped as being bona fide and good for the job by the end of it, whether whether he really was or not, because you've really got to sort of sometimes on some of these places, it's, it's a, you've got to go to some effort to really fail. <laughs> yeah. Paper at the end of it, and and that's that. And and too many people are sort of then spewing out onto the streets, thinking, yes, look at me, I've got this piece of paper which says I'm an electrician now, and and I know what I'm doing. And you, it's the first job they go to where someone says, oh, can you can you come and wire out this thing for me, which is you know something slightly slightly more complicated than sticking a socket out, or maybe I don't know, it's a bit of three-way switching or something like that. Yeah scratching their heads about it or fault finding because the rcd is tripping good luck with that you've, you've yeah. spent a load of money on training and perhaps you've even bought a tester and and then they're, they're going well where do, where do i start <laughs> well yeah exactly so is um like you mentioned the internet was that a resource you used um to aid your development oh yeah of course i mean um you you would wouldn't you <laughs> it's, it's just that uh, obviously uh back then uh we're only going back sort of uh, nine ten years or so uh you didn't have quite the content that you had now you had things like electricians forums uh iet forums places like that which uh, have always been tricky places to navigate <laughs> yeah uh, on, on any forum any forum on any topic the original poster will, will put something up then get berated by three people for asking such a stupid question in the first place. And then another, those same three people will then argue amongst themselves about some technical point that was never part of the original question in the first place. And it just yeah. sort of is off and you, you read through these threads going, what the, where, where is this going? How did this happen? <laughs> That's Twitter, isn't it? <laughs> I, I, must, I must say that, um, like I said, YouTube, I, I do find that uh, it's a more friendly environment and there are people who are prepared to ask questions and, and, and put forward alternatives and, and, and answers and it's it seems to be uh, it seems to be a friendlier place than the forums traditionally have been i know um some of the forums they, they've tried to sort of clean up the act a bit haven't they i, I noticed some new t's and c's came out where they said look we don't want you if, if you haven't got anything positive to say for whatever the original posters querying mm. just don't say anything at all <laughs> because yeah. It, it does become it, 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 it defeats the objective at the end of the day, doesn't it? it becomes tricky. So yeah, the, the internet was a resource, uh, and places like those um, were were good. Um, there wasn't the sort of the YouTube content. John Ward was was live at the time, but I didn't use YouTube back then. I, I wasn't a, a user of it. It's only more recently, so since 2016, I've actually paid any attention to YouTube. Right, uh, okay. Never. It just wasn't in my life at all. No. So uh, you've you've done that. You've qualified. At what point did you say I'm going to set up on my own and run your own business? Uh, well, that was was always the plan. I was um, I was taking effectively voluntary redundancy. I was working at the NHS at the time, um, and uh, the. 2010 election when the coalition government came in mm. they decided to close down the place that i was working at uh, so although there was I, I was actually offered to they did ask me to stay on um but by then i'd fallen out of love with the job and i didn't want to be working in an office anymore and i wanted to be doing something useful applying the skills I had. So I was pretty good on the on the tools. Um, I've always been pretty handy on the tools, uh, in a DIY capacity at least. And, uh, obviously, I had, like I say, the um, some background with cable running and in electronics. So um, I thought, well, uh, if, if I'm going to do something, then I'm going to do something for myself, and I'm going to concentrate on electrical work. And of course, uh, it's, it's the same thing that a lot of people come up with these days they say that they, they want the same the same dream uh, and, and I was fortunate in that back then you could attend the short courses and get napit rubber stamped or whatever or Alexa rubber stamp without too much trouble uh, there wasn't the, the the social media wasn't the size it is today where 
you, you didn't realise at the time that that wasn't the best way of doing it. Obviously, now people can see on social media that it isn't. I mean, there's a, a lot of stuff on Twitter from Time Serve Sparks about about this problem. Um, but back then, um, Twitter wasn't a big thing. And yeah, we, we weren't necessarily talking about work on it. You were showing pictures of your cat and your dinner. Yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, you, you, again, you, I, I was sold the dream. The, the, the company, the training company came along and said, yeah, we can train you up. You, you pay us this money. Um, the only difference being because I was investing a lot into it, I was investing redundancy into it, 14K. And, you know, that's a lot of money to lose. Mm. Um, failure is not an option. So there was a lot of studying, a lot of reading of uh, reference material um, and uh, a lot of planning for even the most basic of jobs. In this case, of okay, here's the job we've been tasked to do. How are we going to do it in a way that I know complies because I can see these regulations say that this is how it needs to be. And, they, and although there wasn't any um, mentoring, there's nothing I can look back on and say, wouldn't do it like that now, or I did, or I did that in a, in a dodgy way. Everything was always by the book as much as it could have been. Um, yeah. And Nigel, Nigel was going through the same thing, uh, the same experience. So we had something to we could bounce stuff off each other. Uh, he was also going into business for himself. So we were able to sort of team up and mm-hmm. actively talk about how how things are. I mean, a lot of sleepless nights at the beginning. <laughs> Just yeah. thinking, how am I going to do this job? How, how have I got to get this, this in here? Uh, how is it going to be done right? Because uh, another thing that I... Uh, naively believed because uh, I joined Napier at first. I naively believed they actually care about what I was doing. <laughs> and I remember the first job we did. I, I was thinking, right, I actually drew out plans for how I, I'd run the cables, and um, I, I did the certificate. And I thought they're going to want to look at this. They're going to be they're going to be checking this. And you know, my, my expectation was that any electrical certificate I, I wrote, I'd be sending back to them and that they'd have it on file and uh, well, ridiculous stuff like that, ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I quickly found out that, no, nah, the CPS schemes don't care. They'll, they'll come along once a year and take a peek at something you've done um, or not. As, as was the case with Nabit for me. They'd, I think I was three years into it before they looked at my first job. Really? Uh, okay. <laughs> So, um, yeah, it, it quickly became apparent that um, they were there for the the logo and not a lot else. Right. OK. Yeah. Which is which is a shame. I mean, are you still with uh, Napit or you have you moved across now to NIC well, or another? I, I, I fell out with them. They, they um, before I was doing stuff on YouTube, I was writing blogs for the website. Um, which I still prefer to do. I'd rather write a piece than make a video about something, but nobody wants to read anything anymore. They want it all in video form so they can sit and look at it. And um, I I was motivated to write a blog about some poor workmanship I came across, Uh, a very dodgy installer who was a fellow NAPIT member. And I put together this blog and I showed all the, the terrible workmanship and I listed regulations that had been violated or uh, just just reasons why why it was a bad job and it was a shame because this this house had, had suffered fire damage from an electrical fire and uh, the fire was in the attic conversion so obviously you've got you've got the fire you've got the smoke damage but also you've got all the water from the fire brigade as, having extinguished it that's trickled down the rooms below so it's, it's largely a, a start again and um I came along, what did I go there for? I can't remember what it was now. Um, I came along to do, I think it was just to do a little, no, it was a, 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 a mate of mine who worked, for, he was an, an independent sparky himself. He'd been there to do something and he'd seen the bad quality of workmanship. Uh, and he sort of said to the homeowner, this this looks terrible, who's, who's done this? And um, she asked him later, it was several months later, if he'd, if he'd put, put things right. But by that time he'd, come off the tools he'd, he'd moved on to, to something else so he, he put it my way so I went and had a look and was pretty horrified at what was there but also she was horrified at being told that it was all quite bad because she'd already been through an electrical fire in the house mm. 
you know, she was there with her daughter and she didn't really want to repeat the experience. No, obviously not. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I, I said to her, look, this did, apparently this has been done by another native man. I've got the certificates for it, which were nonsense. The paper was just nonsense. The workmanship was nonsense. It was so terribly done. Uh, and again, I, I naively believed Napier would care. So I uh, contacted them and said, look, you've had a, one of your guys has come out and he's made this terrible mess of this property. Um, what are you going to do about it? Does this come under your workmanship guarantee? And they sent out an investigator quite quickly. So this bloke came out and joined me on site and I was pointing at everything. I'm like, look at this, look at this, look at that up there. Mm. And he was tutting and agreeing again. Oh, yes, this is terrible, terrible. And we, we had a look at this guy, and um, his membership was actually in suspension when we looked him up. I don't know why. Uh, but he was also on his website claiming to be a member of Trustmark, which he wasn't. So he's obviously acting fraudulently, as well as being very dodgy. But he never notified Napit of the work, so he never um, complied with his Part P requirements for notifying the work although we put in new circuits put in a new consumer unit and all this sort of stuff so um Napit said okay we're going to investigate this and i, I thought oh, good for you um, brilliant stuff and i'm glad to see you you're taking it seriously and weeks went by and then uh, i contacted them and said, well, what's happening and they said oh well um we've investigated and um we can't tell you the outcome because uh it would breach confidentiality like, yeah but i'm the complainant and i'm acting on behalf of the client we can't tell you what, what our investigation revealed, but uh, he knows he's been a very naughty boy and won't do it again. And I looked, and his, his membership was no longer in suspension. I don't know why he'd been in suspension, suspension in the first place. Perhaps he hadn't paid his fees, or perhaps there was another job that someone complained about. He hadn't. Uh, he was he was back on, on the portal as being one of their members, accredited for EICRs as well, which is a laugh. Um, and he was now rubber stamped as Trustmark. So uh, they obviously just went along and said, look, you you can't display the Trustmark logo unless you give us 60 quid. And he was thinking, so, uh, and Trustmark didn't care either that someone was acting, was using their name fraudulently, because I also mentioned them, said, look, this guy's using your, your logo. Uh, mm. No, uh, the workmanship warranty didn't apply because, as you know, workmanship warranty only applies if you get the same guy back. And yeah. if you've got someone who did such a poor job in the first place, why would you want him back with a chip on his shoulder? What's he going to do? Start rip everything out, and start again? He's, he's not going to touch it, is he? So, very much a warranty didn't apply. He, he never notified it anyway. Uh, so maybe just sort of wriggled out of it. Uh, so I fell out with him because here's because uh, for, for um, three or four years I've been flying the Napit flag, which, as you may know, is is difficult because NIC are the big name out there, uh, whether you like them or not. Uh, they're the name that's the public tend to recognise, you go and do, you try and do work for a local authority, whatever they always say, we want an NIC, EIC registered contractor. What they mean is they want someone who's um, accredited mm. with whomever, but they, it's, it's like like using Hoover to call a vacuum cleaner, isn't it? They, it's NIC, EIC is the name they use. Yeah. Um, so I've been flying the NAPIT flag for for sort of three or four years ago no 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 we're as good as nic i see right we're, we're just the same you, you know you you don't you don't have to specifically use an nic eic contractor make it just as good and yet here they are saying to this guy no, you, you you carry on doing your your rubbish job um i mean you know it's uh, but as well as that there were others in the area um who were also being he kept getting called out to to places to correct work that had been done whole properly in the first place now who's done this and it would be a NAPIC contractor and um it, it, i i couldn't any i didn't want to associate with them anymore because here's me flying their flag saying we're as good as the next guy and they're poor workmanship in the area and letting them get away with it and it's a shame because obviously NAPIC are, are no better or worse than anybody else all of the cps schemes have good bad people mm. um, but we had a very specific problem, I think, in this area. Uh, I don't think that the, the people in this area, uh, the representatives in this area, were doing a good enough job of keeping on top of the poor, the poor workmanship. Right, okay. So, oh, sorry, I know, sorry. <laughs> so I decided to jump ship to NIC. 
yeah. <laughs> but again, you know, and they're just well, I, I don't know if they're just as bad, but they've got, as I say, bad people on their books. And you say you see people um, online saying because I, I did a, a video where I uh, it was an off the cuff video. I hadn't scripted it. I hadn't thought about what I was going to say, and, and I I, mo- I moaned about Naked and. A lot of people were angry about that and came back to me in the comments going, oh, who the hell are you? What are you th- who are you talking about? You, NIC are just as bad. I've seen poor women should NIC as well. And yeah, I quite agree with that. You know, that all the CPS schemes are the same. They, they all have good and bad people. It all, it's all down to how good the, the local inspectors are and how um, how how well they do their bit, I suppose. Because as I say, my NAPIT membership, it was three years before they even looked at my first job. Uh, whereas my NIC inspections, uh, the guy is much more on top of it, yeah. and he will pick me up on stuff. And I still, like everybody else, you know, I, I, even though, even when I think oh, I've done that all right, he's not going to have me on anything here. He'll still find something. <laughs> yeah, no, I can quite agree. Obviously, I've done a few um, NIC inspections over the years, and um, I think the one. Thing I would definitely like them to start implementing is more random selection yeah. in the actual sites that they visit. And I understand there has to be kind of some preparation and notifying clients and, and whatever, but it would just be great if they had access to the database and said, those three I want to visit regardless. And it's a requirement. And as members, you should be able to get your clients to authorize that. I agree with that. And I also believe that every electrical certificate you fill out, you should be uploading to a portal that uh, your CPS has access to uh, personally. And that they, as part of your inspection, they should pick some random certificates and have a look at how you complete the paperwork. Because there's so much paperwork completed improperly, especially on things like EICRs. And if you had an inspector who would pick some random certificates and reports and look at it and go, why have you said this? What does this mean here? Or I'd like to see you filling out something there because there's things like, um, for example, I, whenever I used to do certificates under NAPIT, comments on existing installation, for example, never really bothered with it unless there was something specifically to say. But I remember NIC saying, we want to see something in that box, which gets you thinking, okay, interesting. And, and I, there's always something to put in that box, like date of last and testing is unknown because there's no label on the board to, to show it or... Mm um or something like that or uh, it, it makes you think about what, what can i put in that box what can i see on this site that can go in that box um and i think that the, the cps should have should have access to to all the the certs that you and reports that you produce and and they should be looking at them closer because if someone's not filling out the paperwork correctly chances are that there are maybe bigger problems mm. uh, that, you know they're misinterpreting what they should be doing on site potentially and perhaps installing things improperly yeah, yeah. someone can if an inspector can look at your schedule of inspections or the kind of test results you're getting on your minor works or something like that and go oh how are you doing that i don't like to look at that or that doesn't look right to me or why have you got that number or why have you chosen that size um protective device on that particular job or why have you done it in this way according to the paperwork then you know it helps to educate people because often people just just all of us uh, I mean I'm certainly not perfect nobody is on this also except maybe Sparky Ninja or, or John Wall I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure their paperwork is uh, impeccable but the, for the rest of us it's it's a case of um, unless someone sits down and points it out and says you're not doing that right sometimes you just don't know yeah you know you, you need you need someone who's who knows the 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 regs more inside out who's, who's doing the job of inspecting you to to sit down with you and sometimes and say that that's not right you need to be doing it this way from now because all, sometimes all, all people need is just a, a, a gentle push sometimes mm. they have to retrain or like they, they're getting it completely wrong it's just like oh okay it's like that is it okay oh, yeah, I, i'm misinterpreting what that means okay uh, i won't do that again and uh, you know that um that happens to us all occasionally. Even now, when when you put something on on YouTube or say something in the podcast, someone might come along and say, "You said that, but you're not right about this." And and if they can say why, because they can point to a regulation or something written in the electrician's guide to the building regulations or something like that, then you can mm. look at them and go, "You know what? You're right." <laughs> and that happens. Yeah. 
that happens sometimes uh, and it's great because uh, it's it, it, it's it's bad that you've been doing it wrong all these years potentially something's not should be, you know, too terrible but it's great that you know someone can come along uh, and point out this interesting snippet to you and go Oh, yeah. OK, well, uh, I'm going to take that on board. Thanks very much for that. <laughs> mm. I mean, probably, uh, you know, it's a good job you kind of brought up YouTube again because I nearly forgot it. Um, what you, you mentioned, it obviously wasn't a part of your life until probably quite late into 2016. Uh, what what was that turning point? Why did you suddenly turn to YouTube? What what changed? <laughs> uh, well, again, I, I've never I hadn't been looking at content on YouTube. Uh, it, it just wasn't something, it wasn't a website I looked at. I was very active on Twitter and I've been since 2009, albeit on another account. Um, this, this account I've got now is only opened in 2012. Never bothered with Instagram, still don't like Instagram, uh, although I am on it now. Uh, can't stand Facebook. So I, I wasn't really into social media too much other than Twitter, really. And for whatever reason, I just never never thought to look at YouTube. Um, um, what? I don't know, it was just, I'd always, I'd never found video work to be interesting, which is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, in our previous existence, the NHS, Nigel had to do a lot of video work. And I always remember thinking that looks like the most boring job in the world, filming stuff and editing it. I have no taste for that at all. It's just, just not me. Looks, I don't know, it's something really off-putting about it. I just really didn't like the thought of it. And um, back around 2016 or 17, I, I thought, you know what, perhaps I should put some stuff on YouTube. And I thought 20 people will look at it, but there'll be customers in the area. So it was another marketing tool. Uh, obviously, I've got the website and there's a lot of stuff on the website. And I was writing blogs for the website, um, which were attracting hundreds of hits rather than thousands. Mm. Um, but the, web, the, the idea of the website was I, 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 I want to sell myself, make it look like um, I know enough about what I'm talking about that someone will go, you know what, let's hire this guy as opposed to hiring this other bloke who, ha- or this, this other person who has has no real web presence other than their phone number or something, and we don't know what he looks like, we don't know what he does, we don't know if he really knows what he's talking about. This guy's got more information, perhaps he knows a bit more. And I thought it'd be a case of it'd be a way to put a, a face to the name for local clients, so they can. Uh, if they're attracted in by the website and they think, all right, we've had a poke around here and this this guy doesn't look like he's at least trying to rip us off. <laughs> and yeah. It's like he knows perhaps how to wire uh, together what we need. Then it would be something else they can click on where they can sort of see the face for what it's worth, see the uh, terrible haircut and uh, maybe think, well, we'll hire him over the next guy who... We, we can't put a face to or perhaps we've met and he, he just sort of turned up with his bum hanging out his trousers and grunted at us right okay in the case of, of making uh, just some informative videos politely informative videos at the time uh, just to sort of make it look like i knew what i was talking about <laughs> yeah so so when did it develop into more than that uh well like i said i expected like 20 people to to look at it and for them to be potential clients and then um what i found was because the the, the videos i was talking about things like i'm trying to think what i was talking about now things like insulation resistance and that sort of stuff it was it was more technical than most clients were interested in it they, most clients weren't interested in that sort of stuff but then the idea was that they think oh he's talking technical let, let's hire him but um it started to be um either other electricians or the training electricians, uh, apprentices or people attending college courses or going through the career change, those, those sort of people who were tuning in um, just to get uh, get some information on, on what I was talking about, which may have been of value or may, may be just to see, you know, another guy doing the job. And I think anyone starting up on something like YouTube, on a platform like YouTube, there's, there's a lot of negativity at first. <laughs> mm. uh, all the people will want to rip you apart. Uh, and I think that can be off-putting to people who, who are trying to start it. Um, but again, it, it, it's good in that it forces you to think about what, what you're putting up because you don't want to look like an idiot. You don't want to put up something that is immediately going to get jumped on by 100 people telling you, you've done that wrong. So it's an, another way of forcing yourself to think, OK, I've got this job. So like tomorrow we're, we're doing a hot tub installation tomorrow, which I'm planning to film. Mm. Uh, and so I've been boning up on 
uh, how I'm going to install that. Uh, obviously, we've done hot tubs before, but I want to make sure that this is right. Uh, obviously, I'm sure it's right for my customer anyway, but I want to make sure that technically I'm not missing anything and that no one's going to have me in the comments. And it's, it's a good way to sort of force yourself to really look through the um, the documentation that you've got to, to do some research, to see what the regs say about it, see what the building regulations say about it, and to uh, see what other people's opinions are on it to make a decision as to how you're going to approach that job. Because if you're putting it out in a public forum, then you know you're going to get attract some critics yeah uh, the, the critics like on the forums can be very vocal and very negative at first and you really have to sort of just keep punching your way through that to the point where uh you either think right this isn't for me anymore why am i why am i exposing myself to all this negativity or to a point where you've, you've got enough people who around you on the platform who go you know what you you you, you you're, you're, you're doing all right <laughs> yeah is it is it something you see you, yourself doing long term then whilst you're kind of still doing the work uh it, it's well I, I i i do find it interesting despite my um concern that video editing was a terrible thing and i had no mm. patience for it it's actually quite good fun <laughs> yeah um, it takes up an awful lot of time, and obviously a lot of the technical one, the more, more technically presented ones, uh, are heavily scripted to make sure that the content covers as much as it can. So if you try and wing something, inevitably you'll leave something out or say something wrong, mm-hmm. uh, and then you just you know, it's frustrating afterwards because you get a load of comments all saying the same thing. Oh, you didn't mention about that. Damn, why didn't I think about that? So you try and sort of the, the plan. Uh, the ones that aren't just out on site filming the job being done uh, just to, to try and make sure it's as accurate as possible and that it's presented in a way that people will watch and I, I goodness knows how it went from being quite professional to the state it's in now <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I mean that's probably a, a good point to mention you've kind of changed tack haven't you from Obviously, the, who you're presenting to has gone from clients to others in the trade. <clears throat> yeah, although, you know, it, it still does attract clients. I, I, I get a lot of people saying, can you come and do our job? We've seen you on YouTube. And uh, despite the bad language and the heavy drinking, uh, they still think, oh, that, that's the guy for the job because, okay, seems to <laughs> seems to, <laughs> to do a good job and, and hopefully he knows what he's talking about or at least he's, he's not getting pulled apart too badly in the comments. Yeah. Um, so the, 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 the reason for the change, I suppose, is because uh, in the early days, it was, to, it was for marketing purposes and to drum up business. Um, but for uh, a good while now, the business has been self-sustainable. I don't need to advertise anywhere and I don't have to answer to anybody, which is nice because I've always been a bit of a loud mouth and it's got me into trouble an awful lot of times in the past. Uh, back at Cable and Wireless uh, and the NHS, uh, I received verbal and written warnings for uh, things I said and did. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> People taking exception to to them. Uh, no, they never had. They never sacked me. Uh, they never kicked me off. It was always a case of this really is your last chance now, Dave. You, you've got to stop misbehaving and. Uh, yeah, but you know, I was pretty good at my jobs, and, and my bosses always wanted me to be there, even if I wasn't behaving <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Um, Warwick Uni was the only place that ever kicked me off site, uh, which I was quite happy with because uh, they it was a terrible job anyway <laughs> 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 by that point. So uh, I didn't have any, any qualms about being kicked off there, but that's the only time I've had a, a, a sort of contract terminated everywhere else. It's always been um, warning after warning where there, there would be like, you, you've got to pull your socks up David and, and stop, stop being such a, a loud mouth. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just where I, like I said, I don't, I don't have to answer to anybody, which is um, always fun when someone sort of, uh, comes along in the comments and um, complains about the way a video has been done. It's like, well, I didn't do it for you. Uh, I, I did it for myself. Uh, I don't know where you are, mate. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, no. don't like it. And that's, that's the thing that I just don't care anymore. Uh, and you get to a certain age uh, and a certain point, perhaps, 
where, like I say, you, you, you don't care. You just don't care. Uh, the business will remain sustainable because even if um, I, I say something awful on YouTube um, or, or do something stupid on YouTube, uh, my build is still going to hire me to do his jobs. Um, the large client base I've got uh, who keep coming back with repeat work, they're still going to be the same because they know I do the job and that, you know, yeah. I'm diligent about it and I'm not going to mess them about and I'm going to turn up on time and my charge is listed on my website and I'm not going to spring any surprises on them. And that's that's going to carry on. And it'll carry on until I keel over, I suspect. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it, 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 it did turn a, a lot more unprofessional. And that in itself... Um, it, also works because like I say I still get I get people now who, who come along saying I found you on YouTube can you come do our job and I, I get queries from um, quite far afield as well I had to turn someone down today who wanted me to do a job um, down toward London but I've got so much on here I, I don't need to be doing the, the travel time uh, mm. to let people down I really hate it when I have to say I'm sorry I can't do your job but um, we've got we've got loads of work on uh, and that's not going to change and me Pretending to be sick on YouTube or something isn't going to really affect it. Yeah, it might, no. uh, but that's fine because for everyone who goes away going, well, I don't like the, the cut of his jib, whatever, there'll be somebody else who says, no, it'd be great if you can come and do, do work for me. Yeah, no, okay. yeah, that's fair enough. I think that's... Uh... But I think it's, it's a, a fairly unique position to be in. I, I don't suppose there are many others who are like that. For example, Nick, um, who... Nick Bundy, who has the sort of the, the level of humour where he, he could put together that kind of stuff, but chooses to keep his videos professional. Obviously, he's a younger chap, and um, you know he, he's got a a longer career ahead of him than, than I probably have. I mean, goodness knows how long Nigel and I will battle on for until we either drop dead or just decide that we can't physically take it anymore. And, and then we'll go and stack shelves at CEF or something. <laughs> <laughs> because it's not about the money either for us. A lot of trades will overbook their day. They will try and get in as many hours as they can. Um, at, and, and, you know, they'll, they'll be out working at 7 a.m., still working at 7 p.m., and they'll, they'll try and cram in five jobs a day or something. Nigel and I aren't like that. We're, we're lazy and we're old and we're not we're not about the money. We'll Some, some days we just about break even, some days... You know, other days are successful. The business is never going to make us rich, but we're not going to get stressed about it. We're going to go out and have our, have our coffee. We're going to visit the pub when we can and have our pub lunch if they ever reopen again. We're going to work only office hours, start at half eight, clock off at about sort of four o'clock, um, and not have to worry about going back out in the evening or going out the weekends or working bank holidays or anything like that. Like I say, it'll never make us rich, but. Um, you don't want to be the guy who keels over from a heart attack, do you? Or the guy who's letting down his customers because the first job of the day went bad and now yeah. it's had a knock-on effect on another four four people, one of which he'll probably have to phone up and say, sorry, but I'm not going to get to you today, even though you've taken the day off work to wait for me. And, you know, it, it, we, it helps your reputation if you if you turn up when you say you will and do the job you say you will. And if sometimes you don't make quite the money you thought you were going to make because things didn't go according to plan, well... Why should you yeah. sure worry about it? Yeah, yeah. And that's uh, that's probably a, a good point to finish the podcast on. I do have uh, one more question, and it's uh, what is your favourite movie? Oh, right. Uh, you know, I'm going to say 2001. Not everyone's tastes. I quite like that. I had to, st- I did, um, I did one of those crappy subjects. I did media studies at A level, and that was one of the ones uh, we had to write a dissertation on. And yeah, I quite liked it. I would have loved to have done that. I did media studies at GCSE. I got, I got a great C GCSE immediately. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the ending's a bit um, disappointing, but um, that's the only thing I like to down. I think the for its time as well for a mid mm. film, the direction and the technical detail and the um, the predictions of future technology, like you've got your astronauts sitting there watching the news on their tablet computers. This yeah. is in what 1964 or something like that mm. um you know it, it's uh, it's yeah I, I think it's a pretty pretty amazing from a, a directorial point of view but yeah. uh, 
big movie buff. I, uh, I like the I like the old ones, the old Schwarzenegger, the old 80s films, that sort of stuff. I don't watch anything modern. It's all it's all superhero stuff these days. I'm not into any of that sort of stuff at all. I quite agree. So. <laughs> <laughs> Screw Marvel. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I did bring my daughters up on a healthy diet of Schwarzenegger and Stallone. So uh, and they're, they're big Arnie fans. They do like their Terminators and Predators and that sort of stuff. So now they talk in a slightly muffled way, do they? <laughs> but they, uh, I think most of their friends, if you said to them, have you seen Predator or Terminator, they wouldn't have a clue what you're talking about unless it was one of the more modern remakes. <laughs> yeah, which is a shame. Yeah, it's that's a real shame. <laughs> remake a film. Why remake something like uh, The Thing, although that wasn't remake itself back in 82? But come on, you don't need to be remaking some of these some of these classics. I'm sure they'll remake 2001 eventually, and you know what? I will be going to see it. <laughs> yeah, and on that note, <laughs> thank you very much for your time, Dave. It's been great. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. <laughs>